Aloha and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph continues his message entitled, God's Subtle Wisdom, will be in Ephesians chapter 3. And now, with part 2, here's Pastor Ralph. I'm writing a book called Your Church Can Multiply, and it's how to do what we've done, plant a church. So we got stuff going on all over, and it's exciting stuff. And, and, and so I'm writing a book about how you do this, and Corey, Corey just nails me. He says, you're selling yourself short. You're selling the kingdom of God short. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, that book should not be about how to multiply a church. It should be about how to disciple a nation because Jesus called us to disciple nations. Now, read this with me. In verse 18, he says, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. What does complete authority mean? This is the Son of God talking. We're his followers. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, learners of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, committed people. He says, I've been given complete authority, therefore you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to do what? To obey the commands the Lord gave, which are basically pretty simple. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you really get back and look at what he's saying, first is he's not saying make disciples in the nations. He's saying make disciples of the nations. Now, what is a nation? Well, if you actually look in the Greek word, he, he, he goes make disciples of, of the ethne, which is a plural of the, of the singular ethnos. It's the word we get ethnicity from. And what it really means is a people group. Barakamin, that's an ethnos. It's a people group. And so Jesus said, in another place, he says, I won't even return until you've taken the gospel to every ethne, ethnos on earth, to all the ethne. And so he's called us, but he's called us to disciple nations. Now, when Corey said that to me, it was like it flipped my world upside down. I mean, I knew it. I'd read it in the Bible, but he confronted me with it. And I, and I go, what would we be doing differently if we thought that we were to disciple nations? And then I begin to, to think in terms of, wait, 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 wait. We, we live in the midst of a very unique situation uh, in the state of Hawaii. We we, we have enough aloha that though we're all different flavors, we've become a people group. And, we're, and, and I've got a, a brochure here that came on your chair this morning about how to disciple Hawaii, how to disciple Hawaii as a people group. We're looking to start another 100 churches, but Corey's going, if we took this seriously, we'd be saying, what's our 50-year plan? We wouldn't be saying, what's our five-year plan? We'd be saying, what's our 50-year plan? What do we think that people ought to be walking in after we're dead? Because we're thinking of discipling the nations. Now, when you begin to engage that, what I'm talking about, and it gets off of a philosophic level, and you start to realize Jesus says, I have all authority, and you're my disciples, and I'm telling you to do this, then, then it, it affects us in two ways. One is as a congregation. How, how would, 
this concept of we are really called not just to plant a few hundred churches around the world. Stop, stop and think. You know, we're about the fourth largest church in the, in the state of Hawaii. There's one church that's at least five times as big as we are. But there's no church in Hawaii that has the global reach that we have. There's a couple of them that are waking up to the idea of doing this, but, but we've been doing this for years. We, and, and, and so we've done well, but never with the concept of you could really win the battle. You could really do the thing. When 96744 United in Prayer came along, we started to think we could change Hawaii through prayer. There was a, a study came out in the, in the newspaper a couple days ago. Uh, Honolulu, or not Honolulu, Kaneohe, including Kahalu, and some city in New Jersey, I believe, are the top two production centers of crystal meth in the, in, in the, in the United States of America. And we started praying, and God started rolling back some of this. But you know what? That was round one. We're in round two, and, and, no, and nobody's taking it real seriously. And, and, and the, the darkness will come back upon us if we don't keep praying. And so this idea of discipling the nations would affect our priorities as a church. We're going into our, our annual staff planning calendar deal, and we're looking down to what are our three major goals for the next year? How do those fit with the concept of discipling a nation? Particularly when we think that one of the things that God did when he founded this church is called us to disciple Japan. And, and, and it's the only nation on earth where the church is going in reverse. Every other country, including Saudi Arabia, the church is growing. Uh, the church is growing leaps and bounds in some radical Muslim countries. The church is shrinking in Japan. Now, our efforts are growing, but overall the church is shrinking. What can we do to get to other pastors and leaders to change their thinking so that we can go forward in Japan? What can, but then how do we as a church all fit into that? And this is where it gets to the second level. Where do I as an individual fit into that? I want you to stop and think about that if, you, if you're, you know, there, I have two little boys, both around 10, 11 years old, I'm not sure, that both have announced to me that, that they're after my job. They're going to be the pastor of this church someday. Well, they might be. Or they might end up in Corey's job. Or they might end up becoming an attorney that begins to influence the way that we live in Hawaii. Or they might be uh, in the state legislature. They might end up on the school board. Some of our high school kids, you know, one of them might end up being governor one day. You don't know. We can influence Hawaii by doing stuff that influences lives of individuals and it makes a difference. Does that make sense? There's a man named Roy Helzer that profoundly marked my life when I was in the fourth grade. He was my Sunday school teacher. Nobody's ever going to write a book about Roy Helzer. But I want you to know that Roy Helzer has a whole lot to do with what's going on right here today. And so, who are the Roy Helzers among us? You know, what can we do? And so, I, I, I want you to, to, to think about this. But, but as we do this, I want to I talk to you about, is it possible to disciple a nation? Is it, is it even in the realm of possibility? And, 
And I, and I want you to, to, to go a couple places with me in, in history. And I want to talk a little bit about the church. And then I'll, I'll end up the message. Is it possible to disciple a nation? Well, Christianity was repressed under Roman rule for, for three centuries. But as they were forced down, persecuted, beaten up, killed, they died with such dignity and commitment and love to the Lord that they won their oppressors. And by the fourth century, Rome had become a, a Christian empire. So is it possible to disciple a nation? Yeah. In about the sixth century, some people from Germany... And they, they had various names, the Vandals, the, the Goths, the Visigoths, there's several other name, tribal names of people who used to, every year when the Rhine River would freeze, be able to cross the Rhine, come down, make raids in southern Europe, rape people, steal stuff, kill people, and go home. But in 505, they came and stayed, and they conquered Rome. And they devastated all of southern Europe and the Mediterranean. They tore down buildings. If you see all the pictures in archaeology and, and you see how the, you, you know, there used to be, the statues are all broken or the, the columns are all pushed over. You know why? Because of the vandals. That's where we get the word vandalism. The Goths, the Visigoths, they just destroyed stuff. They took special delight, they were illiterate, and they took delight in burning books, which were largely scrolls, although somebody had invented by that time what we would see as a book, what they called codex, where they take pieces of papyrus, where we get our paper from this stuff, a, a leaf that grows in Egypt, and they would write on it, and then they would sew it together to bind it. And, and, they, and they were burning books all over the, the, the civilized world. And, uh, right around 525 A.D., a, a young man who had actually been a slave in Ireland, escaped, went home to England, became a Christian, came back to Ireland as a missionary. We call him St. Patrick, and somehow we celebrate his birthday by everybody getting drunk, and I don't know what that has anything to do with anything. Established, he came as a missionary to Ireland, preached the gospel, established monasteries, and those monasteries really were human printing presses. You get 50 guys in a room, and it, it, they all have paper or sheepskin or something and a, and a quill pen and a bottle of ink, and one guy is very slowly reading the scripture or very slowly reading Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey or something, and everybody is copying it as they go, and they become human printing presses. And, and they say, literally, these people rescued civilization. The documents, the concept of law, the concept of, of, of democracy and a republic that the Greeks had developed, all of that would have been gone. The Bible would have disappeared if it wasn't for these people copying this stuff in, in, in around 525 to... 600 A.D. But about 70 years after Patrick comes along, there's, 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 there's a monk who begins to get aggressive about discipling the nations. And he pulls together 11 compadres, and they take a, a, a little boat called a coracle. And it's, it's actually a boat that they would build in Ireland in those days. They had very little wood. They make a, a light wood frame, and they cover it with sheepskin, and then they, then they put 
like tar all over the outside of that. And they set sail out into the middle of the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, North Atlantic. And when they get away from land, where they can't see land anymore, they throw their sail overboard and they throw their oars overboard on purpose and they pray, Holy Spirit, take us where you want us. And they end up landing on the coast of Scotland. Now just stop and think about this for a moment. They land alive. Because in a boat without any control now, uh, you could land dead pretty easy because you hit the reef offshore and everybody's lost. They make it. And when they get to shore, they establish a small monastery. And from that monastery, they begin to preach the gospel to the Scots. And particularly to that group of people called the Picts, P-I-C-T-S, and they actually convert the king of the Picts. And you are well aware of the Picts because those are the people that Mel Gibson depicted in the movie Braveheart. And they really did paint their faces blue and go screaming horrendous loud noises when they went into battle. And the king of the Picts became a convert and that whole people group became believers. And so they set up churches and monasteries all over Scotland and from there they would do what they called missionary raids into mainland Europe and they would go in and preach the gospel though that they were taunted though they were they were harassed whatever but because of them Europe became Christian and because of them what we call western civilization was was born the rise of Western civilization comes is it comes directly through the chain of St. Patrick and, and these monks in Iona and, and what they did. Now, here's people who take the scripture and go, it's this is a this is a doable deal. And they have faith that when I read about it, I want to cry. There's times lately in staff meeting this week, we were singing one. They're trying to teach us a hymn. We've been singing some of these haunting old hymns of the church. And, you know, this is kind of a rock and roll church. But every so often you get these, something that plugs you into the heritage that we have in the Lord. And, and, it, and suddenly you, you begin to realize, I'm standing in line where some pretty heavy-duty people have stood in line before. And, and they did their part. And I want my life to count for something. Does that make sense to you? Let's talk a little bit more about discipling the nations. Up until 1960, the nation of, or 1990, the nation of Korea was the modern day uh, most Christian nation on earth. Did you know that? Most of us think it's the United States, but, it, but Korea until 1990 was. Now Korea is number two. The most Christian nation on earth today is Nigeria. More born-again Christians per capita in Nigeria than anywhere. But did you know that in the 1780s to the early part of the, of the 19th century, that the most Christian nation on earth was called Hawaii? And there has never been a spiritual awakening before or after that, that so so intensely penetrated a population as the awakening that happened in, in, in the islands of Hawaii. And if it was done before, it could be done again. I'm reading a book that's called 
Jesus in Beijing. And um, it's incredible. It's written by a Time Magazine correspondent. So this man has had access, uh, deep access to the underground church in China. You know, when Mao Zedong took over in 1949, they sent all the missionaries home, killed all the pastors they could. The church was decimated. There, there, were, there was almost nothing. Uh, today, there's over 130 million Chinese Christians, most of them worshiping in underground churches. This man has had access to the underground churches. He's had access to speak to the leaders of the Three Self Church, which is the government-sponsored thing. And he challenges them about their role in the Communist Party and how, can, you know, how does this conflict or not with Christianity. And he has, con he has had access to government officials because of his Time Magazine credentials. Interestingly, the founder of Time Magazine, Henry Luce, was born and raised in China, uh, children of missionary, child of missionaries in China. And so Time Magazine has huge credentials in China anyway. And, and, and so here's what he's reporting. It's a book that I want a bunch of you to read. Um, but he's reporting that, here's the title of the book, Jesus in Beijing, the subtitle is, uh, how Christianity in China will change the balance of global power in the 21st century. They say that within 10 years from when he wrote the book, so it's about 2012, there'll be 300 million Christians in China. That'll be one third of the population. They say that by 2020, China will be predominantly Christian and interestingly enough, while on the one hand, the church is being repressed in China, on the other hand, the underground church is actually being, in some cases, sponsored financially by the Chinese government. You know, they sent people into the West for years to study along, you know, ever since Nixon went to China, we've had some, some sort of open doors. And, and the whole idea was, why is the West, why does it thrive? Why are we always second place to the West? And they begin to study, and they said it's because of technology. And then they said, no, technology isn't a good enough answer. It's because of their strong economy that gives birth to the technology. And then they said, no, an economy is too shallow of an answer. It's because of democracy. And how do we have to bring democracy out of socialism? And then they backed off and they said, no, the sponsor of democracy, although it's on the wane in America, the sponsor of democracy is, is, is Protestant Christianity. And so you have the Chinese government that's officially atheistic trying to support the church because of stuff like in, in rural areas of China where everybody grows opium and everybody smokes opium, and everybody now is open to the spirit world in some very weird ways. And people are sacrificing their animals and even their children to the gods to try to, you know, keep them away from us. They find that people who become Christians don't do that. And suddenly they begin to prosper materially. And there's whole villages that have gained wealth in the midst of a sea of poverty. And the Chinese people are not, they're not stupid. And they're figuring out this thing pays off. And so this is all going on. But here's the point. The Christians in China believe that they will disciple their nation. 
Not only that, they're all learning to speak Arabic and, 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 and sending missionaries into the Arab world to evangelize in places that somebody with a white face like mine could never go. My friend Chinzorik Jujitsarin in Mongolia left his medical practice, schooled in the finest place you can go in Moscow to become the pastor of six people because he believed and he believes that Mongolia will one day be a Christian nation. Today he pastors a church of about 200 people and he's launched, the last count was six churches. Uh, these people are on the move and the gospel has grown from five people in 1989 to 12,000 people the last time I was there two years ago. Uh, they're going places. Can it be done? Yes, it can be done. Yes, it can be done. It, 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 it will be done. Can it be done in America? Can the tide be reversed? I believe so. There are many people that actually believe across America for some reason. It's like the Lord reveals stuff to people like, yes. That believe that there, 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 there are seeds. There's, 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 there's the bubbling up of revival all across America. There's, there's a sense of it. There's, there's an interest in Christianity that just hasn't been there before. You see it in the news media. But there are people across America that believe that if revival comes to America and we come back to the Lord, it'll start in Hawaii. It'll start in Hawaii. You know, I was interested to hear that there was a, an interview that was done um, and, and a little story on the news about how Chinatown is cleaning itself up and how uh, the police are becoming much more effective in Chinatown. In fact, there's a lady sitting in this room that was interviewed in that thing because she, she operates in a business down there. And, and, uh, and, 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 and it's so coincidental that from the, the time the police began to be so much more successful in Chinatown exactly coincides with the time since we started the Chinatown Prayer Project and that when they did the TV story and they were doing the interview, they were standing on the corner of Smith and Baratania Street, which is exactly the place that our people go to start every time when they go down and do weird stuff like taking a little vial of olive oil representing the Holy Spirit and anoint the lamp posts and anoint the sidewalk and anoint the place where the drug dealers hang out and all of that. And they pray over this place and they're standing right there saying that for the last five months, Chinatown has become a whole different world than it is. And, and, and what a coincidence. But when I can tell you all the coincidences that happened with when we started praying about Castle High School and praying about crime in Kaneohe and things have been changing, then, then you, you got to start to think that there are, there are action steps you take toward discipling a nation and they pay off. One of them is prayer. Some of them are other, other ways of getting involved. Am I making sense? Huh? Feels right? Why don't you stand? I talked for a long time today. I'm just going to bring this thing to an end. Let's, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you in thanksgiving for the life that you've given us in Christ and the way that you've changed our lives. But Lord, we, whether we're, we're in the game or not, we acknowledge that you've called us into the game and that we cannot live a Christianity that is really pleasing to you. It's a, it's a spectator deal that you actually called us onto the field of play. 
And, and we admit to that. We acknowledge that. And we, we say yes to you. We admit that you have all authority in heaven and earth. And that when you call upon us and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm telling you to do this, then, Lord, we want to be a part of it. Lord, we want to disciple nations. We know that that doesn't come by gathering political power and forcing something on people. It comes by loving people into your kingdom one person at a time, and we want to be a part of that. Lord, whether it's as simple as dropping a pen off on a desk at work or, or as, as complicated as teaching in children's church or, or going on a missions team or, or transplanting and moving someplace because you called us to, uh, we, we acknowledge your right of lordship in our lives this morning. And we surrender our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 